and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers on Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, he knows Shaman, he knows lore. He would be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe, how's it going? Well, it's going pretty okay. How about yourself? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, also with us is a dude who loves warriors and also loves war, and that would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi, how's it going? Uh, lore, not war. I don't actually wage war on anybody. I, I said, I said lore. Did I not enunciate? Yeah, but they, they, they sound very close. Oh, you gotta, you gotta always make sure people know. Yeah, especially is... when you have warriors in front of it. You gotta, oh, yeah. you gotta make sure. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so this is episode one of Weekly Lore Watch. We're actually really excited about this. Um, if you're listening to this on Patreon, you'll still be getting every episode every Sunday as per usual. Um, right after we finish recording, I do the edits and I throw it up online. Um, if you're listening to this on the later feed, instead of getting it every other Monday, you're going to be getting Lore Watch every Wednesday from now on. So congratulations and thank you to those that chose to support us via Patreon and help this all come to pass. By the way, if you'd like to throw some support our way, you can go to Blizzard Watch, or excuse me, patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch and help support the show there. Uh, I think we're still working on the secondary goal. The secondary goal is our D&D stream. We'll be doing more of those. How many more? don't know but if we hit that goal that will happen um regardless that kind of wraps up all of the the pre-stuff because we have a lot to talk about and I'm pretty sure we're gonna need to do the weekly show because we're not gonna get through everything in one episode because uh 8.2.5 dropped (laughs) just you know on the on the list of things that that happened um not only did it drop but there was uh, the wrap-up to the war campaign, which included a full-blown cinematic. Like, full-blown, we're talking, like, quality, quality cinematic that was about, what, six minutes? It was over six minutes long. Yeah, about that, yeah. A little bit yeah. more than six minutes. Um, and while we did, in fact, wrap up the war campaign there were some things that did not get wrapped up. However, this week we're going to talk about the stuff that did get wrapped up and we're going to talk about the characters involved and what happened. Um, Next week, we will be discussing the stuff that didn't happen. Like, um, hey, where the heck is Tyrande in all of this? Because we have... We have things to say about that. I think we all have things to say Mm -hmm. about that. Um, For now, though... uh, what we saw here, obviously, you guys, if you haven't played through all of the war campaign, we're going to be talking spoilers for it. So uh, if you don't want to hear the spoilers, stop right now, go log in game, play through the end of the war campaign, and then come back. It doesn't take very long, and they removed the requirement for the Nazjatar part of the war campaign. You don't have to level the little dude to level three anymore. You could just go do it, um, which makes things a lot easier. Uh, I was able to go through on my horde alt in like an hour and a half, a couple hours, and get everything taken care of. Um, regardless, I think it's really interesting here where Sourfang's journey has gone. And I also think it's really interesting here because we definitely did not get a Garrosh 2.0. That was not what we got here. Um, it seemed like it was leading up to it, even to the point where we were approaching the gates of Orgrimmar and it felt very much like what was going on again um you guys have played through correct yes. just lion side but yeah okay and joe i take it you've played through the horde side 
I've played through the Horde side. Um, I've watched videos and plays of the Alliance side because I'm nowhere near completed on the, the war campaign on the Alliance side. Okay. I checked out both sides of it, and um, it was really kind of fascinating from the Horde perspective because a lot of the NPCs and stuff that you talk to when you go into that final scenario, you could, you could stop in between quests and you could talk to any named NPCs that you happen to find. Um, they all have things to say. One of them... Maya High Mountain in particular kind of punched me in the gut because she said that G was not there. G's the horde representative for the Pandaren on on the Wandering Isle. Um, And if you remember the Siege of Orgrimmar, you remember what happened to G in the Siege of Orgrimmar. And Maya says very specifically, G is in Thunder Bluff. He's seen the city invaded once before and he does not wish to experience it again. And I was just like, break my heart, you guys. Come on. Okay. Anyway, uh, what we saw here, though, it wasn't Garrosh 2.0. It was much more, to me, I think it felt like a personal journey. It was like Sourfang's journey um, from where he began, like way back when, to where he's come to now. Um, what do you guys think about how that was wrapped up with Sourfang? You go first, Joe. Conflicted. Um, I I don't think it was what I expected, which is always a good thing if you give me something that I don't expect or can't predict. But also, it felt weird to me. Like it was on brand for the character. Um, a lot of the things he said were were in the way that the vocalization of it was 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 good. Like the, you know, I you know prided myself on living with honor. Have I ever actually done that? Like that that sort of like the that gist conversation of, right? that he had with Anduin Rin was pretty significant. Yeah. It was it was very, very significant. Like I like everything up to that point, but it also felt it almost felt like a swerve for the ki- for the sake of not being Siege of Ogramar 2.0. And it like I felt like this should have been a thing way before this ever happened, if that makes sense. Like him challenging her to uh the duel, everything that happened, I felt it should have been a little bit earlier. But that said, I think it tidied up at least the horde side of things to a certain point. The other part that I sort of have a problem with, and I think Rossi and I talked about this a little bit on Twitter, is, okay, so you have a handful of horde that didn't like what was going on and left, but everybody else stayed. What do you do with that? Like, and that's still like one of those loose ends. So it's like, it, it, it was good, but it left me wanting more, if that makes sense. Okay. Rossi, what about um, you? I, I want to talk about the things I thought were really good first. Um, I thought the the in-game cinematic, the in-game render cinematic with Sarfang and Anduin talking. Sarfang comes off, I think, note perfect. Um, one of the things he does that I've wanted to see a Horde leader do forever is he flat out admits, yes, we did awful things. We um, were terrible going, people and the yeah. Horde was founded on terrible things. Yeah, mm-hmm. like from the from the the Path of Glory on through like the, you know, the invading horde through Blackhand through Doomhammer, and he puts it on Doomhammer, which is something they need to do more often. Orgrimmar is named after a war criminal. Yep. And it it's the the legacy of the horde that the horde has preserved all this time is not always great. And the fact that he he admits it, he comes out and he puts examples. He says something the effect of you know we talk about honor. Have we ever displayed honor? All good things. Anduin comes off a little weaker. Uh, Anduin's idea of, you know, well, we've done bad things too. And it's like, no, dude, this isn't a competition. You don't need to jump in there and try to say, but we're bad too. Just listen to the man talk. Yeah. 
I'll he's, agree with that. He's telling you something. I feel this like is... Anduin in that moment was trying to reassure Saurfang, but there was yeah. no reassuring the guy. Yeah, and there's no need to do so because no. Saurfang isn't he's accepted. wasn't at the point of collapse. Yeah, exactly. That but the scene where he comes down and he does the bit about, you know, where you know, we're going home and where is our home? And he makes the point that for whatever you want to talk about it, their home is now Azeroth. The the horde, the orcs this is where they are. When, when Thrall left to go back to Durotar, uh, not to Durotar, to uh, Draenor, he, he made a mistake. Going to Outland is not his home. Azeroth is his home. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, those, that whole bit was really good. Um, the bit in the, the more, I don't know what to call the, the cinematic that's basically, this expansion, we've gotten four cinematics that are intro cinematic quality. We've gotten like literally, I think, close to like 40 minutes of incredible cinematic. Oh, yeah. And this one makes the point. There's lots of things about it I liked. There's the bit with Thrall where he tells Thrall, you know, you and I, we don't get to hide. Which he's a, it's a refrain from the, the previous one, the Safe Harbor one. Yeah. Safe Haven, sorry. That, that's really good. Um, I liked that Anduin's like, I, I put you on this path. And he goes, then walk it with me. And there's honest to God respect between the two of them now. And he, and he, yeah. Saurfang told him straight out. He said, yeah. we both knew where this was going to go, mm-hmm. where it could go. And there's the moment where Anduin hands him his father's sword. Oh my gosh. I'm yeah, going to tear was, up. I'm going to tear up. Relatively few warriors on Azeroth, I thought, worthy of using that blade. And I will give Sarfang this. Whatever you think of orcs, whatever you think of the horde, Sarfang earned it. Sarfang is one of the few warriors that I felt comfortable seeing use that sword and splitting it. Well, that is a really important thing too, isn't it? Yeah, because like Anduin couldn't do it. No, he split that sword into two. He used it as two weapons, the way Varian did, and that's amazing right there. So that's all good. I liked Sylvanas in it, quite frankly. I liked when she comes down and she's like, "Why should I take your challenge?" And she's Patty Matson does disdain better than I've ever heard so anyone else do good. disdain. She mm-hmm. made that was good too. Ugh, and she's such the, a good voice actress. I can't the, even. The part where his response is simply because you want to make me suffer. Yeah. And he was right. She did. It, there's a lot to like here. There's a lot to the cinematic that was extremely well done, uh, well acted. The, the, the story makes sense. But I will say this. Part of the problem I have with this is quite simply, it's a part the problem we have in real life history. The missed opportunities of the past. Because at the end of Siege of Orgrimmar, we could have gotten here mm-hmm. and we didn't. And that's fine. That's what happens in history. But, you know, like I've said, I think I said on Twitter at one point, but getting mad at World War II for not being original enough because it's, it's just a retread of World War I. Like, no, that's, that's not what's happening. It's not the same. But yeah, we could have avoided all this. But history is times... just as cyclical as narrative yeah. stories tend to be. How do you you can always say we could have avoided this. And there was lots of reasons why they could have avoided this. So that part doesn't bother me so much, but what does bother me is the feeling of not a resolution. Yeah. And there is to a certain degree, there's a resolution here, but in a way it's a resolution that feels like it leaves more open than it actually solves. And, and to a degree, that's, that's what you're going to get. This isn't going to get to be clean and tidy. Uh, But Honestly, I kind of felt like, to a certain degree, Sylvanas losing her mind in front of Orgrimmar like that just because he got a hit on her is so on brand for Sylvanas now. Yeah. 
And it's, it is exactly what happened with Darnassus. It, it fit for me because like he saw that happen. So he knew to do yeah. that. Right. It's the whole Tildarassal thing over again. Yeah. He I, knows I if think... I push you the right way, yeah, you'll and, go the way I want. And part of the, part of the thing is, is like, I don't know if it's, a, he got a hit on her or what he was saying to her, but the combination Both. of the two. Yeah pushed her right over the edge and that smile that he gave after she said the horde is nothing and everybody heard it that smile that Sourfang gave her it was very much a i got you and there's also like one thing that i wanted to talk about i am not a big fan of the wow player base's tendency to grab a minor character and just deify the heck out of it (laughs) i think it's weird but i will say this the the animation i want to call it the acting but it's animation the animation of that forsaken standard oh so beautiful who turns like what there's not even an expression on their their face is covered by a mask but all it takes is the turn of the head and those glowing eyes and you get it immediately yeah and it's just it's it's an interesting callback to what happened at Teldrassil with um, Summer Moon. It's when, when she does the whole thing about hope and how I feel bad for you and Sylvanas lost it. And here it's having hope literally hit her in the face because that's what happens. He hits her in the face with hope. He's doing the whole thing about you can't kill hope. And he does that speech. And it's really well done. The, the, the acting for Sorfang is also good. Um, when he says you, you tried to, to kill hope at Teldrassil, but you failed. You tried to get us to kill each other at Lordaeron, but you failed again. You just keep failing. And that that delivery, to a degree, his death was a mercy. Because I feel, if she really wanted to hurt him, she would have let him live. I feel like I feel like Sourfang came full circle here. Because at the beginning of this expansion, what is Saurfang doing? He's walking to the Alliance to just sacrifice himself for n- nothing, for nothing at all. He's just, he's trying to get the honorable death that he knows he's not going to get. Like, the, it's, it's, there's literally no reason for it. And this time around, he's not walking, he's still walking to that enemy camp. But the reason that he goes there and the reason that he challenges her to the Megora is because he knows he can end all of this stuff in one fight if he pushes the right buttons. And in doing so, yeah, he's probably going to die, but he's going to save all of those soldiers standing behind him, and he's going to save all of those soldiers and all of those citizens that are standing behind the gates of Orgrimmar. And he does it. Yeah, and there's certainly... You can't forget that Sorfang is the guy that planned the attack in the first place that started all this. Yeah. And he's the guy who led that attack. And he's the guy who, is, who attacked Malfurion from behind when Malfurion was going to take Sylvanas out. Yeah. And that's something that really needs to be stated. Sylvanas had no chance against Malfurion. She was going to lose. She could not beat him. She might not even be able to beat him now, even with whatever she's got going on. But Sorfang made that victory for her. Sorfang was responsible for her. And that's the difference. That's the thing that we need to see more of, that he accepted that too. This was, this, this was, it, when this he was, 
Yeah, when he was walking towards that alliance camp in, was it Old Soldier? Yeah, it was Old Soldier. When he was walking towards that alliance camp, he was prepared to just throw in the towel and give himself up and die just because he felt bad about what he had done. With this, it's him taking responsibility for what he had done and snuffing it out before it had a chance to go any further. And he knew exactly how to do it. Those words that he spoke, everything that he said, that... that like I said, there's so many moments in the cinematic. You, you were talking about that character, the standard bearer, and how there was that little look to the side. There are so many moments like that in this cinematic. And the thing is, is like, I totally get why they went with a fully rendered cinematic because they could not have done this with just the in-game stuff. They could not have gotten those facial expressions. They couldn't have gotten those little subtle things like that smirk. When, when Sourfang tells her, you want to make me suffer she gives this little there's just this second where she has like this half smile and then she like turns around to get her blades and and it's all these little tiny subtle moments but i think that what we saw here with sour fang's story was just it was really it was beautiful and it put him up to the level of of brock cigar his his brother Without, without being a ripoff of it. Yeah. Well, and I feel like that may be part of Sour Fang's story too. Is you know he's living under the shadow of this dude who went back in time and struck the only successful blow against Sargeras, right? With the w- wooden axe of Cenarius and all of that. And he, meanwhile, he's living with all of this tragedy and stuff, and can't even get an honorable death. And by confronting Sylvanas one-on-one, that absolutely, I mean, obviously it didn't make up for everything that he's done in his lifetime or everything that the Horde has done in their lifetime. No, but, but it's it's similar to what happened to Grom. It's that still Grom full. Didn't make up. Yeah. Yeah. There's it, also Grom another. Didn't make up for everything. Okay, Joe, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, that's fine. I was going to say, there's also another important thing about this death of a character that I don't think we've seen in any other major story character or any major npc to the mm-hmm. state he got to choose the condition and worth of his death finally yeah everybody every other npc that we've lost every other person we've lost so far hasn't had any sort of agency in their choice even That's Varian, not entirely like, true no i'm gonna disagree who? with you about Varian. okay go ahead and say uh... it but i'm gonna disagree with you i was gonna say he made the best choice he could at that exact moment but it wasn't necessarily you know what i mean like it was it was in that moment he did what he did to let them escape. And it wasn't necessarily like it, it was good, but it wasn't it wasn't something that like, he got to choose what it accomplished beyond that I initial f- like thing. You know what I mean? I feel like that's what that, I'm trying to say. I feel like that opening cinematic for Legion where he was writing the letter to Andwin with the locket, Varian knew going into that that he was not gonna come out alive. Maybe. He didn't know how he was gonna die, but he knew it was super unlikely he was going to come would, out of that alive. I would argue that Varian's death, the way Varian approached going to the, the Broken Shore, I don't think he knew he was going to die, but I think he was prepared to die. Yeah. I would more agree I with that. He, I think he, he was like, I have lived. Um, I've done a lot with my life. If the demons are returning and my world is at stake, I am prepared to do whatever I have to do to buy my son and the rest of my people a future. If that means my death, then that is what it means. Yeah, and, and I think, I, but I think I, that's the difference for me, right? Like, it was a possibility, not a he knew it was going to happen. Here, see, I, Sarfang I, knew he was going to die. 
Yeah, Starfang knew he was going to die, but it what for this it it's still a, a situation where it wasn't about his death. That's the thing. When he tried to throw his life away to get the honorable death, he was denied it because it was the death that was important to him. Right. And here, it wasn't his death that mattered to him. It wasn't his death he was looking for. He didn't go there intending to die. He went he there to it. save. Yeah. See, and that's where that's where I'll disagree a little bit there too. I think it, he. I don't think he initially went there intending to die. But that's I my think, point. I don't think he did it. That's what I'm saying. But he I didn't think, go there intending to die. But That's I think exactly after he what I'm talked, saying. But I think after he talked with Anduin and after he had that 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 whole epiphany of everything that's happened up to that point with from the initial meeting on, he knew what had to happen. And I he feel knew like, that he had to die. I think he knew at that I point. I feel like he made his choice when in that cinematic he was looking up at the gates and he told Thrall he was like, They're horde too. Yep. It's not just the people behind me, it's the people up there too. And that's and I, when, and that was the moment that he made that decision. Yeah, I just, I think there is still though. I think there is a difference between suicide and what he did. In that, had he survived this, it would not have bothered him. He wouldn't have been unhappy to live. No, Fair. and that's the difference between every time he's tried to do this before, his not having died has almost seemed like a punishment to him. That wouldn't have been the case this time, because had he lived, he would have still done what he he came there to do. He would have accomplished his goal. He would have saved the Horde. And that's ultimately where he was with this. It, it's it's interesting, though, because we're talking a lot about Starfang. We're not talking about Thrall. And I think yeah. we need to talk about Thrall next, actually. The other thing that I want to point out real quick here, though, before we move to Thrall, is that I... Okay, number one, you had Varian's sword, and he split the sword and all of that. But number two... When Andwin bent down and picked up Sourfang and took him into Orgrimmar. Oh my god, I'm getting choked up. It was a callback to Ice Crown Citadel to me. Because Varian let Sourfang in to take his son after his son was defeated. And, and, and let him take his son back to Draenor. Oh, yeah, ultimately Draenor, yeah. And this was just kind of, to me, it like it was like, and now... Varian's son is doing the same for you. And yeah, it was just like, ah, ugh, it was so good. Okay, we need to talk about Thrall. Yes, let's talk about Thrall. Go ahead, Rossi. Well, I mean, I mean Joe might want to go first. I don't want to, if you've got something to say I, first, go for Yeah, it. I was going to say, I think I think some of the important things, we, we were kind of curious, at least what Thrall's role was going to be, and to a certain extent, we still are, right? We talked about that before. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen in the aftermath. We're starting to get a little bit of an idea, but there's still a lot more to go and resolve. Uh, but when Thrall is there with Sarfang and Anduin, uh, getting prepared to, you know, for Sarfang's duel, you know, Thrall has this real, like this realization at this moment, he knows his friend's going to die. He tells him he's, you're going to die. And that, that statement again, we don't get the hide comes up again. And he's faced with this sort of, cementing of this idea that he ran away you know thrall's been living with sort of this i don't want to say guilt um but a lot no, of the stuff was happened. Guilt. i mean you but go a- back to you go back to uh the cinematic that happened after you broke bane out and when he had that conversation with jaina i i think he's coming to terms with that I, yeah i was gonna say i think he's accepting the weight of the responsibility for what he's done I don't know. I, I don't. I, that's why I said I don't know necessarily think guilt's the right word because he. I think that has already passed because he's already run away from it. But 
for me, the most important thing are the events after Sarfang dies with Thrall. The fact that they lift up his body and they bring him into Orgrimmar, they lay him down uh, in the Valley of Strength, which is super appropriate. Um, he gives a rousing speech about, you know, what has happened, what he gave his life for, and all and everything else. But after that, there's this interaction, uh, and if it's not part of the war campaign, it's just if you're in Orgrimmar, and it's between Thrall and Overlord uh, Gera, and Thrall's sitting on the bridge that expands between uh, the towers at the top of the valley of, uh, that look over the Valley of Strength. Yeah, and he's just sitting there, and every I think it's like twenty minutes or so, like the it's the like scene plays minutes, out, half hour, something like that. Yeah, yeah. something like that. Uh, but you have Overlord and her retainers coming from the Zeppelin Tower. Uh, they're discussing everything that happened, and you got to keep in mind, Gera is essentially alternate universe Thrall, so it's really weird, but there's this point where she crosses the bridge and they talk, and they have sort of like this interaction, and some of the statements are, you know, just talking about keeping an eye out for Sylvanas, talking about how she was a strong war chief, but she did whatever it was to achieve victory, but she only fought for herself. And you know, we were nothing to her. She abandoned her own people. And these are statements that I think also sort of apply to Thrall in recent years, which yeah, is sort of interesting. She's not saying that directly to Thrall. She's kind of saying that to her soldiers. Mm -hmm. And when they walk by, all they do. They acknowledge each other. Yeah. She but says it's... Goel and he says Gayara. And then they keep right on walking. But he's listening to all of this. Yeah. Oh yeah, but I mean it's 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 just very interesting that the choice of scripting there is, you know, fought for herself, you know, that was the whole Garrosh, him killing Garrosh thing, abandon her own people, disappearing to Outland. A great leader must have more than strength. They must be true to their people. They must live and die for them. And it's one of those things where it's like these are just hammering home those points that Thrall Thrall done screwed up. And I, I sort of appreciate that. Uh and I'm curious what his role is going to be now, because I don't think he's going to come back as any sort of war chief. I don't think it can be called war chief anymore. Uh, I, that's I actually know. one of the questions that I had for you guys, given everything that happened and the wake of everything that happened. And even, you know, the stuff that Sourfang said and that kind of thing. Do you think the Horde is going to have a new war chief or do you think they're going to call it something else now? I personally think we're going to see a council of some type because what? i don't i'm sorry i was gonna say i just don't think any of the characters that could do it want it yeah i can't see bane bloodhoof taking that title and being comfortable with it i don't think lothramar would want it either what about you rossi what do you think um well first off gayara is not alternate universe thrall she's his sister um she may be his sister from a different timeline where he didn't get born but nevertheless, she's his sister, not his alternate self. They were born at different times. They aren't living the same life. They're their sister, their siblings. I will die on that hill. <laughs> I, I, will, I, will, I will respectfully disagree, but continue. <laughs> well, you, you, you're wrong. Sorry. Um, but um, to get back to what you're actually asking, I don't know. Because I think it would be a good sign of progress for the Horde to abandon the War Chief title. I think that's a, a really big sign of breaking the cycle to a degree. Um, and at this point, War Chief has become the defense of the Dark Arts position. Since Thrall stopped being War Chief, we've had Garrosh, we've had Vol'jin, we've had Sylvanas. Nobody stays in this job too 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 long. You know what I mean? It's it's got its a lot of problems. Either they 
overreach themselves or they end they end up dead either way it's not looking good for this job it's almost like at this point going to a haunted house to take that title so i think both for like just pragmatic reasons and for the fact that it's it would be a good breaking of the cycle to abandon it so i would like to see that happen that doesn't mean it will happen and if they chose they could certainly have bane take the job or can can I just interject for a moment here and say, you know, unrelated to everything else, I know that uh, Chris Matson isn't with Blizzard anymore, technically, like he's not in any role or anything like that. But man, it was good to hear his voice again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think that to go back to, like, I didn't actually get to talk about Thrall, so I'm going to go back for a second. Go for it. Go for it. One of the things that, that's interesting is how Thrall has kind of matured into a role where he can, there's a bit where... uh I can't remember his name, Zappy Boy. I can't remember the guy character's name. Uh, he comes running up, and Thrall just puts out a hand and stops him. And when Sarfang has died, when he is, you know, he's dead, and they're picking him up, and he's like, what do, what do we do now? And Thrall just says, we take him home. And it feels like Thrall has actually matured into a leadership role, finally. Mm-hmm. He's actually, when he was, when he freed his people, he was a leader, but he was a leader who, who acted out of, like, youthful zeal. You know, he was angry and he had, he had been through a lot and he took up the role because nobody else was doing it. Um, Doomhammer wasn't doing it. Grom wasn't doing it. And he, he served as a goad and a spur to get them to, to move, even when it cost Doomhammer his death. You know, he was it was because Thrall got them to move. He's now lived long enough and been through enough and seen enough that he now kind of understands the other side of it. He understands the cost. And you see that when he's, you know, he hands Sarfang his axe. He's like, here, you know, take it. And that's the other weapon that he uses when, during that fight is he uses, a, he has Thrall's axe in one hand and he has a uh, Varian sword in the other. And he's finally put himself into place. I don't, it's the right, only way I can think to put it before he didn't know who he was. He's kind of grounded himself yeah. in his identity. Yeah, he knows who he is. He went, you know, for all that, you know, that we say that Thrall ran away, his time away has allowed him to look at who he actually is. He went and lived in, in Outland. He went and lived in the Grand like his ancestors would have. He he raised two children. He's got two children there. He's got a wife there. He lived as a man, for lack of a better word, as an orc, whatever. He lived as an orc. He lived just as a person. And he knows the costs so much better now. I don't think this thrall would have settled them in a desert. And that's one of the biggest problems is he went and settled them in a desert. And as, as people, as, as Garage pointed out to him, nothing grows here. Mm-hmm. Why did you do that? If you're going to settle us somewhere, settle them somewhere where they can get food. So many of the problems that, that happened between the Horde and the Alliance afterwards are the fact that there's no trees and no food. You couldn't build a city and you couldn't grow anything to eat there. So you ended up having to take it from elsewhere. Where else were you going to get it? It's not like the Alliance was going to give it to you. And I think he's in a position where if they were going to have the Warchief title, Thrall could do it. Thrall could be their leader. But I don't think he wants to. I think when he said to Sarfang is what he still feels. When he says, I will not lead the Horde. He can be there for the Horde, but he's not going to lead it. And I don't think anyone wants to be war chief i think yeah. it's it's not even a title that that elves have so the blood elves are like yeah no okay uh bane has a lot tied up in what happened to his father he's not 
haunted by it and he's not you know it doesn't drive him or or obsess him but it's part of him that title and those traditions are what killed his dad he's not going to just strap himself into them so i feel like this thrall is wise enough to recognize that that his people have changed that for one thing i think we've all said this um this is not the orcs and their buddies anymore Mm -hmm. this is not you know orcs and then you know other dudes in the sidecar the orcs are one out of a great many people they're probably just as many forsaken in orgrimmar right now as there are orcs yeah oh yeah because they got nowhere else to go yeah Yeah. if, if not more of them um and i think that's why it was so important that it was a forsaken that turned and looked at sylvanas when she said you know the horde is nothing you are all nothing because when she said you are all nothing she means everybody and that's important because the, and i think we're seeing like the stuff you see after the the post sylvanas leaves surfing dies parts where um one of the ones i've seen is lady liadrin shows up in in, in orgrimmar with like a, a blood knight entourage yeah and she's like remember we're here to patrol the city we're, we're here to you know you're not here to fight with the, the, the those who serve sylvanas that's not what you're here for we're here to patrol the city and keep the order there's no war chief and Nizoth is still out there somewhere. So you are to keep the peace. And I think that's Thrall's role is going to be along those lines. Thrall is here to help. He's not here to lead or rule. He's here to help. So that's why I think we're definitely not going to see a typical war chief come back. I don't I think the title war chief implies that you're only the, you're the leader for war. Mm-hmm. And it's like it comes from the old horde. Because the old horde needed a justification. Remember, the original war chief position that the old horde used was descended from the time when they were fighting the ogres, and they wiped out the ogre city and said, "Nope, we're never doing this again. This was too much." So I think they're gonna thralls it in tune enough with himself. I think they're gonna they're gonna do away with that position. And I think thrall is gonna be instrumental in it. I think what I find interesting about thrall is that he represents. And in his leadership, initially, he represented... <sighs> this is why I found Sourfang's speech to Andwin so interesting, because Sourfang went into what the Horde actually was, and who they were, and what they were founded on, and the history of it, and all of that, right? Thrall wasn't there for any of that. Thrall was born and raised in a, a human encampment, by humans he was taught to read by humans he was taught the concept of honor by a human he he had a human that he viewed as as a sister in in Taratha and when he came out of that and when he broke out of that he went looking for orcs to learn more about who he was and who did he talk to who was the first orc he found and had a long conversation with I mean thinking about Grom yeah it was Grom. And what did Grom tell him? Grom told him all these glorious stories about the Horde and everything that happened with it and how it fell and all this other stuff. And Thrall took it. And he, he didn't... I don't think that Thrall understood. And I feel like Grom probably, in a way, was probably upscaling everything that happened because Grom was very much about, you know, the mm-hmm. whole bloodthirst thing and the whole... Yeah, all of that. He was about all of that. So Thrall had this really kind of almost idyllic picture 
of what the horde was. And that's what he was building when he was setting those people free from the internment camps. That was what he was building. And when he went to Kalimdor, they landed on Kalimdor and he planted the flag and said, here's where the horde's going to be because this is the first place we landed on. And he wasn't thinking about... Well, well, we need I mean, to grow. Thing- we need to grow plants, or we need to do all this other stuff. He was thinking, "All right, I've I've guided the horde here, and we're going to land here, and we're going to establish ourselves here, and we're going to be great." Without really understanding anything that came with it, and why would he, given his background and given mm-hmm. his upbringing, how would he even understand any of this stuff? So, like, thrall in a way, thralls. Thrall's role as as war chief of the Horde, it was almost like him playing dress up, <laughs> kind of in some ways, because everything that he tried to do was stuff that he thought was like good ideas, but it wasn't necessarily stuff that the Horde would do. So like when he's trying to make peace with Jaina and all of that, and they're trying to make diplomacy happen, that's unheard of to the rest of the orcs. It, it's it's unfathomable why would you do that that that's not how the horde works that why are you saying that's how the horde works and that's why when he found garrosh he found garrosh and he gave garrosh this totally blown up story about his father and how his father died with honor and all this other stuff and ended the curse and everything else and then he took garrosh and he brought him back to orgrimmar and expected him to follow along in Thrall's footsteps when that just was not going to happen, ever. And I think that that's something that Thrall has been coming to terms with. It's really interesting to me, you know, I keep going back to that conversation that he and Jaina had after they broke Bane out. In that conversation, when he's talking about things, Jaina's relating to it because a lot of what he's talking about, about blaming himself for everything that's going on, it, it rings true with Jaina too because that's the kind of thing that she's felt for years and years and years but it's also Thrall kind of coming to terms with what he did when he broke them out of and it wasn't just like leaving the title of war chief to Garrosh it was the entire span of his reign as war chief that he's looking at and coming to terms with because he he didn't really do it right and when he found out he didn't do it right he went to Outland he went back to Nagrand why would he go back to Nagrand he was never from Nagrand he was born on Azeroth so yeah I I find I find Thrall's journey in particular kind of fascinating and I don't know if we'll see him step up into a leadership role but I think they made it pretty clear here that he's not going to be completely out of the picture and absent anymore and I like that I like that a lot. I like that direction for him. Um, But we're going to move on here because I want to talk about the Alliance side of things. Specifically, what happens after you finish the whole funeral and everything else um, on the Alliance side and you go back. Because Jaina decides that she's going to pay a visit to two very interesting and influential people that maybe have more influence than we realized. Um... Kalia Menethil and Jaina's brother Derek Proudmore. Dang it, I was so hoping you wouldn't say who it was so I could swap in a Cadgar and Magni joke. Cadgar and Magni Bronzebeard. No. (laughs) 
she she goes to meet uh she goes to meet up with Kalia and she goes up to meet and she goes to meet up with Derek and they have a little conversation and Rossi do you want to talk about that did you finish that part of it oh yeah I know it's what happens okay um essentially what happens is we find out where Derek Pridemore has been this whole time uh, and it is I, I think a lot of us knew that's where it was going to be. We pretty much assumed when Jaina said, I have a friend who can help you out. We pretty much assumed mm-hmm. it was going to be Galia because yeah. yeah, but this is Kalia's first actual appearance in game since she died and came back. So it, it's, it's still cool to see her. And uh, Derek seems much better off. And if Sylvanas has got hooks into his brain, they don't seem to be working at the moment. We don't know. I mean, who knows? Maybe like she'll show up and say his code word and he'll Manchurian candidate on us. But for right now, uh, he seems to be more in control of himself. And uh, Jaina's Jaina even comments on it. And they have they have a nice talk about perhaps they could then help others. They don't say straight up, maybe you could help the Forsaken. Uh, but they do they do hint heavily that Kalia could do more than just. And Kalia's really guy. hesitant about it too because she's like, yeah. I barely understand what's going on myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But uh, Jaina hints that, you know, Kalia might have a greater role to play in the future. And uh, Derek is like, you know, if we can help, maybe we should. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be anywhere without Kalia. And Kalia's like, oh, you did more of the work than you think. I, I was just, I just helped. So it, it's a nice conversation. It's simultaneously low key and extremely high key in that they don't say much. Like they don't actually say much of anything in terms of what's going to happen in the future. Kalia is not like to to Lord Aran or anything like that. Uh, for one thing, there's no Forsaken there. They're all Norgamar, so she would be going to the wrong place. But I mean, there's there's no nothing concrete, but a lot of possibility. There's a lot of what does this mean? What's gonna mean? What's what is Kalia gonna end up doing in the future? What's Derek going to do in the future? Is Derek gonna be like her her Nathanos? Can I just well, say for the record that I think it's kind of interesting that we had Jaina Proudmore hooked up with Arthas and they were going to get married and then they didn't. But now Kalia and Derek seem to be spending a lot of time together. And yes, they're both dead, but there, there's like, yeah, it seems like kind of poetic that the two of them are dying. They are from the same age. They are from the same kind of background. They do understand, like, they're both from that time period where Lord Aran was still Lord Aran and Kulturis was still, you know, under the House of Proudmore, all of that other stuff. And, you know, the Second War was going on. <sighs> yeah, Jane is a little younger than Kalia. Yeah. Uh, but they, she and Kalia were friends because, you know, you hung out with people. Yeah. of your station and there were just weren't that many people of their station plus you know Jaina was with. dating her brother so yeah so there's a, there's an interesting truth to that fact that you know Derek would be of he'd be a little older than than Kalia but he's in the same basic age group so yeah they would have known each other or at least of each other and I'm sure they would have met occasionally since you know Derek would have made the trip over a few times especially when they were actually part they were actually fighting during the war then definitely there would have been possibility for some contact before Derek died. What's also interesting is that Derek has also got a huge amount of missing time. Yes. And that he died during the second war and has only recently been raised, whereas Kalia lived through it all. So she can explain to him, she can give him the context that he's lacking. So there's, there's a lot, there's a lot going on here. Um, I'm not sure. That's the Again, interesting part about Derek is because what you don't realize and you kind of have to put it in perspective is that, Everything that happened between the Second War and now 
Derek doesn't know about. So everything that happened with the Third War, the formation of the New Horde, everything that happened in World of Warcraft vanilla expansion, and every expansion since. This is all stuff that Derek does not know about. It's a lot. A lot has happened. (laughs) Last time Derek Proudmore even heard about Sylvanas Windrunner, she was was like a powerful figure amongst she was a ranger general she was a ranger general in the high elves and and that's yeah that's probably the last he heard about her um so a lot of stuff wasn't he wasn't he a human ranger he didn't experience the plague he didn't know what happened to arthas he didn't know what happened to lordaeron he didn't know like none of this all of this was stuff that happened after he died um so yeah, it, it's it's kind of fascinating in a way to look at. What I do want to talk, actually, Joe, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? I'm sorry. No, no, that's okay. The, the only thing I was going to say is I just found out today that horde players can actually experience. That's the what I was. Yeah, that's what I was going to go to. Um, yeah, which I think is interesting because it's Lillian Voss who gives you a quest to go eavesdrop. You you go yeah you talk to Lillian and Lillian sends you to go eavesdrop. She says there's like an important meeting going on and maybe we should know what's going on with it. What's really telling though is when you go back to Lillian after you've witnessed this stuff and fill her in on what's going on. Lillian says something like, "I have to go. There are things that I need to really quickly take care of," and she doesn't specify anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but Lillian's an intriguing character in and of herself just even going all the way back to her origins like she was originally part of the scarlet crusade and when she was raised she freaked out and ran um didn't swear herself to sylvanas at all um was more interested in looking at what was going on in the plague lands and how she could resolve that wasn't really interested in her place in the forsaken until recently but even throughout the whole war campaign didn't really seem to be on sylvanas's side so much as working kind of adjacent to her while giving the appearance that she's on Sylvanas's side because we all know what happens to people who are not on Sylvanas's side in the Forsaken. We saw it in Before the Storm. So I guess what I want to talk about here, though, is do we think that this is a possibility of Kalia and Derek coming to lead the Forsaken? Maybe. Um... I know that a lot of people think that this is a ship that's about to set sail. Uh, that Twitter made that very, very clear to me. Uh, I don't know. Like, I think, I think Kalia is still the most likely to show up in that role. I don't know about Derek. I don't know if, because like Rossi pointed out, we don't know if there's programming in place or if there's something that like wormed its way into his, you know, undead brain meats uh, that is waiting to Manchurian candidate at some point. We don't know. Um, but, to be clear, when I say co-lead, I mean co-lead in terms of Kelly is going to be the leader. And, but I think he'll Derek's be the kind of Thanos. Yeah, Derek's kind of there as like advisory capacity, someone she can talk to. That sort, maybe not like somebody she's going to get married to because that would be weird because they're both dead or undead. However, that would, works. But yeah, it would make sense from a like a a, a standard fantasy or medieval faction standpoint where you have the person who's good at politicking and keeping people together. And then you have the person who is military trained, who understands combat, at least to a certain degree, uh, even if it is ancient uh, knowledge that he has at this point, that's still it's not ancient. It's only 20 years old. They still fight the same way. Yeah. yeah. But I was, I was going to say, I was going to bring that up. I was going to say like, it's still combat. It's still not tactical training. Yeah. 
So maybe uh, this could possibly be the beginning of that. Um, I don't know. Like I, my question to you guys, cause I haven't done this. I know on the horde side, I spent a lot of time talking to the NPCs after all the stuff was done. Did either of you do that with like, after these cutscenes and everything with the NPCs in that area for the Alliance side, is there anything of note that any of them say? Yeah, but a lot of it is stuff that we, we won't be talking about till next week. Okay. Yeah, there's there's definitely stuff there that is said, and we will be talking about that next week. I would like to say for the record that I spent a hot minute looking for either Alaria or Varisa after seeing them in, where was it? They were in uh, Razor Hill, and then they kind of disappeared. And I was trying to find them after the cinematic finished and see if I could talk to them, but they were nowhere to be found. Um, which is kind of unfortunate, but the two of them made it pretty, pretty clear where they stood in Razor Hill. Um, they, well, Alaria in particular, because Alaria is familiar with the void, obviously. Um, her opinion when, when she gave it was that we, we freed Nizoth. Let's just flat out say that at the end of the eternal palace, we freed Nizoth. We freed an old god, and that old god is now free to do whatever the heck he wants to do. And we don't know what that's going to be yet. But Alaria makes a very valid point. She said the army on the other side of that gate may be the only army that's capable of taking on Nizoth and winning. So maybe we should let her do it. And Anduin says, no, we're, we're taking care of this now. We're, mm-hmm. we're doing this now. Um... And honestly, with what Sourfang did, we have that army now. We we have that army, so that's that's not a bad thing or anything. But it also makes me wonder what they thought about Sylvanas taking off and that kind of thing. Um, Should we talk about that? Because there's still one more thing we haven't discussed, and that's what happens to Sylvanas after. Yeah, uh, I do want to kind of briefly go back to Kalia, though. Kalia and Derek, because I think that Kalia is... Not only is she the most likely new leader of the Forsaken, but she's also the most logical one because she was part of the royal family when they were still alive. And now they're not alive anymore, and neither is she, but it's still a banner for them to collect under. And it's a banner that's probably a lot more appealing than Sylvanas's because it's not about vengeance. It's not about anything else. It's about embracing who you were. Um, and we saw a lot of that again in Before the Storm. There was a faction of people who were very interested in that very thing. And now it feels like that's something that could be openly encouraged. And I don't, I don't know about anybody else, but I keep going back to this whole, they're going to, they're going to remove the faction divide. And everything I see is kind of pointing to it. I don't know if it's actually going to happen, but it feels like it's a possibility. But yeah, let's move on and let's talk about Sylvanas because she does make her escape in that big, huge, beautiful rendered cinematic, but players who were loyal to Sylvanas, who went through and actually like reported everything that was going on to her, they get an additional piece of scenery where they get to go to Windrunner Spire and that's where Sylvanas is gone, and Nathanos is with her. And yeah, Rossi, I'll let you talk about that. Go ahead. Well, first up, um, for those of you who have been writing your Nathanos, Sylvanas fanfic all these years, you have been officially validated in game because when that ship you get there, is sailing officially. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you get there, um, 
Sylvanas is, is giving orders to Nathanos what he should be doing next. And you, you missed it. You don't actually hear it. But he, she's like, you know, take care, Nathanos. And she says Nathanos very differently. She, she does a definite inflection. But he straight out responds, you know, safe journey, my love. So he just straight out calls her my love. So uh, if he was ever at a point where he couldn't express those emotions, he now can and he does. He straight up calls her my love. And considering how much I want to step on Nathanos' face until his brains are paced, <laughs> uh, I was actually surprised at how well the, the actor did that. So he sounded genuine, not snarky, uh, heartfelt, and and sad that he was leaving her to, to go do something else. So that's yeah. all that's all great. Then you get to take a little tour up Windrunner Spire with Sylvanas while she's she thanks you for your service, essentially. Whilst basically telling you to your face that she does not intend for anybody to survive this. That, you know, she made a deal with Ashara. By the way, remember I called that? I said that she'd made a deal with Ashara. And you guys yeah. were like, maybe she doesn't. No, nope, she did. Yeah. She strip says, I made a deal yep. with Ashara. And no, that we, deal we, still work. I mean, we discussed that in, in detail and kind of came I'm to I'm talking to everybody, not just yeah. you. Oh, okay. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. But. You get to that point, and she's like, yes, the deal I made with Nashara could still work. Nazoth is coming, and even the old god is a servant to death. Like, you know, yeah. He'll fight, he'll fight the forces of, he will fight the forces, the united forces of Azeroth. And, and leave their bodies die. in the streets. Yes, yeah. and more will die, and they will leave their bodies in the streets for me. And in the end, they all serve death, because nothing lasts. And she's basically telling you right to your face, yeah, you, you too, you're going to end up dead. You know, you have no... Thank Nothing you for matters. your service. You could have died. Yep. <laughs> and so that's the, you know, if you're wondering how your Sylvanas loyalist then goes back to the Horde, probably like, I got nowhere else to go. I better get back there before they find out I worked for her. Uh, but yeah, so so you, you find out that she does have some sort of plan. All the deaths from this war were part of that plan. Like she yep. she even says, you know, that their, their, you know, their sacrifice has, you know, has served well. But so there's a lot going on here. A lot with Sylvanas, you know, we don't know exactly what she has planned, but clearly she has something planned. And what's really interesting is we don't know what happened to Zalatath. Yep. She, she doesn't use it in the duel and we don't see it. There were a the lot duel. of people asking if she was using Zalatath in the duel, specifically because the cuts on Saurfang were like fleeing void energy or whatever that was. That's the thing is it's not void energy. It's not it's the same and as her black it's, arrow. It's the same thing as her black arrow. It's like yeah. necrotic stuff. But the you thing is, it's it like it wasn't Zalatath that she was using. No, no, it's not. But if you look at her, the stuff coming off her just before she fights him, it's the exact same stuff as when she bursts into Banshee form in the original cinematic mm -hmm. and then comes recoalesces and screams for the horde. That's what's leaking off of her. And that's what she hits him with to kill him. It's it's all like it's like death energy. It's like it's like the shadowy death magic that we've Fun seen. Fun story. Beginning. After you finish the stuff on the horde side, Lorth Mar is talking to um, Thalistra, and they're trying to figure out what magic it was that Sylvanas used because neither of them have seen anything like it before in their lives. Actually, Jaina asks him. Oh, okay. Jaina says Jaina. Is turns it Jaina? To... Yeah. Okay, it's Jaina. Jaina turns to Lorthamar and she says to Lorthamar, what was that? And he goes, I was going to ask you. Yeah. And then Talisra's like, yeah, I couldn't even sense it when she was doing it. Yep. Yeah. And that's telling that they couldn't even sense it while they were watching her do it. That wasn't void magic. Nope. They know what void magic is. Yep. 
They, the, the thing is, is they know what necromancy is too. So, but what is it? So, I mean, like this, this started getting me like into all sorts of questions too, and like started making me think about things that we talked about in the past. Like we still going back. Like Sylvana seems to be cutting a lot of deals, right? But there's still one that I think may be the one that started all of it, and it's, it's we still don't know the deal she made with Helia. Yeah, Helia, who is essentially for all intents and purposes, a goddess of death. And right? she's not dead. Helia not isn't dead. dead. If you go do the island expeditions, you get a thing that you take out there and they say, oh yeah, no, she's not dead. Yep. I mean, and it's so it's it's interesting. Like, is this something that's been set in motion that long ago? Is that something that we're just now starting to see the repercussions from? Is this the power that she got? Because even in her battle with with Gen Greymane, there were shades of this happening. So I'm curious. I'm curious if we're going to see Helia's triumphant return to feed off of all of the death that will be waged. And that's why they don't know this power, because it's not necessarily necromantic power. Is right? she trying to set Helia free? Maybe, but I mean, going back to the power thing, like Helia's not entirely like a she's not a void entity, right? She originally started as essentially the lineage of Titan constructs. Yeah, yeah she's right? a Titan forged. Yeah. So what if this is that sort of void Titan thing that we've always talked about? What happens to Titan energy when it gets that corrupted by the void or that willfully corrupted by the void? Maybe that's why nobody knows what it is, because it's not void energy, Titan energy. It's not arcane energy. It's not necrotic energy. It's something completely different, something nobody has experienced before on this material. And you know who probably knows a little bit more about it? Our favorite Pokemon master. That narrows it down. Yeah, Odin. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he made her. He did. And after he trained like, his eyeball, and he sealed her. Yeah. After he trained like, his eyeball to something, you're right. Yeah, yeah. in the Shadowlands, I I feel like, I feel like Helia and Sylvanas would probably get along on a level that we haven't seen before, too, just because of the nature of who they are and how they came to be. Oh and yeah, Sylvanas, their backgrounds are so similar. Sylvanas had her life taken from her. Helia had hers taken from her, neither one of them willingly. Forced into servitude. Forced into servitude. And done death by a powerful male figure. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot there. There's a lot of levels there that they can, like, identify on. So I'm not... Here's something that uh, you guys just made me think of. Okay, go for it. You're not supposed to kill an old god because it can unleash untold horrors, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But what actually happens to the old god when you kill it? We got the Shaw. No, 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 no. That's what happened to everything around the old god. Uh-huh. What happens to the old god? Hmm. When you kill something that isn't supposed to exist in the first place, where does it go? Does it go anywhere? Does it go to the Shadowlands? Can the Shadowlands hold it? I mean, specifically, Yashiraj was dead, but his heart was still there and still capable of funneling power to Garrosh and having chats and all that other stuff until the heart got finally dissolved but yeah again that's not that's not the entity that's its remains does it go back to the void i don't think it it, would we've talked about this before it's so far like transmuted or mutated from a pure void creation can it i just thinking about this in terms of what happens there's that old there's that old Lovecraftian saying that is not dead which can eternal lie and with strange eons even death may die. What happens to a thing that is literally from outside our reality when you kill it? 
can it die? If it does die, what does that mean to it? Because we've seen what death can mean to just mortals. Yeah. Mortals can endure past death. Mm-hmm. Look at Arthas's whole thing is I saw nothing but darkness, but he saw it. He experienced it. You know, there's if mortal beings that are just, you know, were created and then you know, curse of flesh and then they die and they can their ghosts can exist and endure. What about an old god? And what happens after you keep in mind, Yisraj died before the ordering of Azeroth. And before Helia was even a thing. Yeah. And who knows what it was that Odin spoke to? And why did it want an eye so bad? Which is one of those things so you're that the thinking, gods love. You're thinking that maybe the Shadowlands is what was created at the the Yasaraj's first death, or and the creator, that, or the creator, and then the the uh, entity that's there might be the leftover remnants of it. Well, I mean, it might you know, it might not be, but it certainly, in fact, it's very possible it's not. But I mean, even if even if it's not Yasaraj itself, it could be the wound you inflict when you kill something that isn't supposed to die. Because I like that theory. Azeroth, Azeroth had to experience this. The absence Azeroth, of existence. Azeroth had to experience all this stuff that made the, uh, the the Emerald Dream possible. The Emerald Dream is like all tied together with Azeroth. It's everything that Azeroth can possibly be. It's it's potentiality. It's nature. It's life. It's Which all is those really things. weird because when you look at the void and the void is like a place of where every possibility is truth and every possibility could be, the Emerald Dream is almost kind of like a reflection of that. Kind of, and that's probably why the void had such an easy time getting into it. With the but, Emerald And staying Nightmare. there for so long, yeah. And the Shadowlands, however, are, what if you have a nascent titan and you force it to see the death of something like that. Ooh. You've got the and not just see it, but the thing was part of it. That that symbiotic necrophagic entity that was not necrophagic, sorry, uh, light phagic. I forget the word they use. Phot- photophagic or something. That entity was in Azeroth. It was mm-hmm. buried in deep and he came along and he plucked it out. He ripped it out of Azeroth and he wounded it. So now you've got a wounded child. Not even a child yet. It's still not even born. You've wounded it terribly, and you've forced it to undergo, like it would have experienced that death. And now, just as its dreams are going to be like places of of life and possibility and things happening, what are its nightmares? Because the Emerald Nightmare isn't Azeroth's nightmares. No. It's an old god infecting it. So what is what do you do with the trauma? What does Azeroth's trauma look like? What is Azeroth's identity of disorder at an Azerothian scale? Or maybe just the very fact planetary that planetary disassociative never... identity disorder. Well, no, because I mean, so no, Rossi but it makes sense. It, there. Like it, a fra- like yeah. that big of a trauma causing that sort of fracture that may have been the cause of the creation of the Shadowlands. And for all that, Sylvanas is clearly got her own agenda she's never she's not lying when she says these things when she says you're all nothing you know everything ends nothing lasts these are true statements tin soldiers and little yeah when she says that everything ends and that nothing lasts she's not lying she's not just cackling malevolently she went through it she saw yeah and she saw it again when she, you know, she died on top of, of Ice Crown, when she lost her vengeance. Think about having that as your sole motivation and then you lose it and you need to try to find something else. And you witness what comes after death. 
And she even says when she's on the spire, she even says to the to the horde player, she says, I, I sincerely wanted to help them when she's talking about the Forsaken. I I, I yeah. felt for them. She didn't want them to go to the same place that she did. And there's just this there's something going on here. Like there has been all expansion. Death has been the, the between the uh the Drust and Thros and the Death Gods and you know Juan Samdi and all of it. Death and death entities have been from the beginning dealing with us, playing with us. You know, Helia certainly is a pretty Including good Including the Lich King. Yes. And Helia is certainly a good candidate for being involved in this. But I don't think Helia is the end game. I think whatever took the eye in exchange for power did so to deliberately set up something like Helia. Helia was its goal. And whatever it I is I feel like I also feel like um that whole exchange of eyes thing you said he took Odin's eye why and I feel like while Odin was busy peering into that world it was busy peering into ours yeah that certainly does seem to be one possibility absolutely and watching what was going on on a clinical level almost watching all the toy soldiers in tin plate it's interesting and it's definitely something to chew on and think about we are running over time here though so we need to actually like wrap things up but we will be back next week um if you have an email for the show can't guarantee that we're going to get to it next week because we still have a lot to talk about but if you have an email for the show (laughs) if you have an email for the show you can send that to podcast at blizzardwatch.com and be sure to put lore watcher in the subject line so that we know that it's for this show alternatively there is a q and podcast questions channel on our discord you can get to the discord ask your question there make sure that you Specify that it is for Lore Watch so that we know that it's for the show. Blizzard Watch, it's made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience, and also a weekly Lore Watch, as it turns out. So, um, final thoughts, you guys. Just to go back a little bit to what we were talking about before, do you think that Kalia would actually be a good candidate to lead the Forsaken? And if not her, who else do you think would fit in that role? Joe? I mean, I've been saying it for weeks and weeks and weeks, I think ever since the book came out, which, by the way, it's on sale. Uh, Christy Golden tweeted that out. You should go read Before the Storm. It's great. Yes. Um, I think she was always being groomed to take over that position because honestly, for all of the years that we've had the Forsaken, they've never really had, I, I don't want to say they haven't had structure because they've had structure, but it hasn't felt like somebody who actually cared about them. Even the Desolate Council, um, they cared, but they cared more about, uh, not necessarily more more about something other than the people, but it wasn't the same thing that wasn't a singular person who they could look to and say, this person understands what it's like to rule a kingdom of people and understands what it's like to be us uh, in a specific way. Kalia fills in all of those gaps. She, for the most part, she's understood the devastation of the scourge. She's seen the devastation uh, of the, the life that the forsaken have to leave now she's most likely to be able to fill those gaps, give them hope, bring them together and walk them through from all of this hatred and dark path that they've been pushed on for all these years 
to we can we can heal these wounds we can become a people again we can not we don't have to be these rotting carcasses that sit inside of the hole in the ground and i think that yes i think she's most likely to take over that role and bring some form of peace to the forsaken okay rossi uh all that was great but i'm thinking from a different perspective the best possible outcome for the Forsaken in terms of effective leadership would be to have Kalia take the lead because everything Joe said is true enough. Have Derek as her right hand and have Lillian Voss as her left hand. Yeah. And the reason you want to have Lillian Voss on your left hand is because if she's not at your left hand, she's probably working against you. She's going to stab you, you in the back. <laughs> you don't want that. You do no. not want Lillian Voss working against you. She has messed up a lot of people. Um and I think that it would be interesting to finally have, instead of just having Nathanos do everything the way he has been, he's just Sylvanas's always, and Sylvanas only had a left hand. He didn't have a right hand. I mean, she didn't have a right hand to say, um, maybe not. Having Derek there to, to serve more as a conscience type figure, to say to be the guy who doesn't really understand the modern world, but knows, you know, what he's experienced. Say, so, you know, I, I went through that. Let's not, let's not do that thing. That, that's kind of getting sylvanas and to have Lillian on the left hand saying, okay, this is the most expedient thing. So why don't I just go assassinate a few people and that'll be handled. And I think that that would be a good triumvirate to lead the Forsaken into the future. Failing that, Lillian Voss should be in charge. I feel like the more I look at the Forsaken as a whole and who they were and how they've come to be where they are, the Forsaken are almost kind of a representation of the stages of grief and they allied under Sylvanas, who took them through anger and vengeance and all of everything as far as they could go with that. And I feel like Kalia is probably the best figure there to usher them into acceptance. So I really hope this is where we are leading um, and, and going towards, because I, I think it would spell some really interesting new things for the Forsaken. You have to realize that the Forsaken, when they when they banded together under Sylvanas, it was a bunch of humans. It was the former citizens of Lordaeron rallying under a high elf high ranger or a high elf ranger general. Um, she wasn't part of Lordaeron. She didn't know what that place meant to anybody. She wasn't a citizen of the area. She didn't know anything about its history but she very much wanted revenge on whoever it was that had done this stuff to her and everybody was really on board with that but I feel like particularly with Before the Storm we see the Forsaken kind of reflecting on who they were before that and, and trying to come to terms with that and I and I feel like Callie is probably the best option for that and yeah I would put Lillian as like a second place but I like the idea of like a triumvirate between the three of them. Um, and we've seen that come into place before with like, you know, the dwarves, they have their council. So why not have something similar going on with the Forsaken? I don't know. I will say one other thing. One other thing I want to say before we move on. Mm -hmm. entire, Sylvanas' entire reign as the Banshee Queen has been her asking a question. Yeah. What are we if we're not slaves to this torment? And they've never answered it. They've never answered, what are we if not slaves to this mm -hmm. torment? Callia might have that answer, yeah, though. Sylvanas was never going to get to the beyond that part. She was never going to get to the not being slaves to this torment. But Kalia can, and maybe with her, they can get past it. That doesn't mean that that's what's going to happen, because sometimes you miss an opportunity. Sometimes the wrong thing happens, and sometimes bad stuff it follows. 
that's pretty much the lesson of Miss Pandaria. Things didn't go well. Um, so maybe that'll be what happens this time. We don't know. But that would be what I'd like to see. All right. Well, thank you guys, as always, for listening. And we will see you again next week. Mm-hmm.